In part three, Pastor Murray and I are conducting uh, this Bible study in the book of 1 Thessalonians. We've entitled the series, Foundations for a Healthy Life. Foundations for, we're not talking about those little pills that are filled with vegetables and fruit, or that new diet, whatever it is, that you lose 50 pounds in 30 days, and all of that. We're not talking about all of those kind of things. as welcoming as some of those. Bonnie and I are uh, excited. Our daughter and uh, our three grandchildren from Tulsa are, are scheduled to come to see us tomorrow. And uh, they're scheduled to fly through Denver. There's unfortunately several feet of snow there, so the flight's been canceled. And uh, so we've had to make some other arrangements. They'll be coming a different way. But you know, if you've uh, flown on an airplane lately, you know there's all kinds of changes. The 737 MAX is up and running now. That's the, that's the more economic one. But there's another plane that's, that's flying. I don't know if you've heard about it. And uh, I, I'll quote to you what I heard not long ago. The passengers on a jetliner were relaxing in their seats for the long flight. And the voice over the loudspeaker had just announced that the aircraft had reached its cruising altitude so the passengers are free to loosen their seat belts and to move about the cabin. Then the voice continued with these words. Ladies and gentlemen, we're proud to announce that you are flying on the maiden voyage of one of our brand new fully automated jetliners. These new jetliners are the pride of our fleet. They have no need for a pilot, co-pilot, or navigator. All human error has been eliminated. You needn't be alarmed as everything from cabin pressure to speed to altitude is completely controlled by our computer. We are excited about the world's first fully automated airplane and we hope that you are too. So just sit back and relax and remember, nothing can go wrong. Nothing can go wrong. Nothing can go wrong. Nothing can go wrong. Praise God. So. If you're going through something that looks wrong, just remind yourself, nothing can go wrong here. It's all under control. (laughs) Praise God. Some of you are going to miss my twisted humor, but it's going to be okay. Pastor Murray, it's going to fall upon him and strong. And uh, (laughs) so praise God. Am I right? Yeah, yeah. Partially right. Have you found chapter 3 in 1 Thessalonians? You can power up, you can look it up, whatever you want to do. I want to, I want to focus my comments tonight in this passage, calling for, the, for us to understand the model brother, the model brother. Now, the key word in the third chapter of 1 Thessalonians is the word establish. Would you say that with me? Establish. It's found in verse 2, verse 3, verse 8, and verse 13. I want to remind you of some things tonight that most people among us are mindful of. And that is that new Christians go through a time of testing and affliction. Spoke to a man this morning. He's never been here. He said, our church is still closed. He said, I have no internet to watch the service. We are starved. We are starved to be in God's presence. And he made some comments about what God did for him in the morning services. Time of testing has come to this family because they are hungry and long to have a better day. 
And unless they're established in the Lord, they will be moved from a position of stability and strength. Paul was not satisfied. You remember that he's writing to the church at Thessalonica. He's no longer there. He's been chased out of town because of pressure. And uh, so he's not satisfied just to know that the people there are saved and that they're um, being nurtured, as we discovered in chapter 2. He wants to see them established, as we discover in chapter 3. And that pushes us also into next week's study, which is chapter 4. You, you that have had children or, or uh, watching children, if you see some of the children walking around, little babies around, or a plethora of little kids, before they can walk, they've got to stand, right? And if they got, <laughs> of course, sometimes kids will do the backstroke like the crab walk for a while before they get moving. And uh, now, now what, by what means did the Apostle Paul use to establish these new believers in the faith, in that church? And what could we learn tonight for ourselves and our personal edification about growing in God? Well, the first thing we can discover is he sent them a man. Paul sent them a man. I'll begin tonight in 1 Thessalonians 3, verse 1 and 2. When I say he sent them a man, I'm not minimizing that a woman couldn't have been sent to be the, the mission. As you know, in our fellowship, in our fellowship, we have more ordained ministers that are female than any New Testament fellowship in the world. And so for many years, the Assemblies of God has believed in ordaining women ministries. So when I say man, I'm just saying a representative. Please understand that. So when we could stand it no more, Paul says, we thought it best to be left by ourselves in Athens. He was there for the safety reasons. We sent Timothy, who is our brother and co-worker in God's service in spreading the gospel of Christ, to strengthen and encourage you in your faith. It's clear that young Timothy was a great asset to Paul. I believe that every Paul, every older person that has walked with God for a long time should have a young Timothy around them, that we are interested in mentoring, helping, molding, fashioning for the work of God. Paul knew how to anoint, select, and train leaders, and Timothy was one of the best. Timothy had proved himself, and I want to prove to you what I'm talking about. He had proved through his service in the local church. Some of you are new or are, um, are emerging in your faith in your walk with the Lord and wondering, well, do I just sit here forever and just sit here like and, and, and take in the word and, and is, what, what, is, what is left for me to do? And, and I just want to remind you that by Timothy's example, he started as an aide to Paul and moved on into a powerful anointing. Now, let's, let's, let's dive in for a moment and take a side trip into the life of Timothy because it's helpful for young people in our service or people who are not fully engaged yet in ministry to understand how it begins. Acts uh, chapter 16, 1, 2, and 3. Paul came to Derbe and then to Lystra where a disciple named Timothy lived, whose mother was Jewish and a believer Whose, but whose father was a Greek. The believers at Lystra and Iconium spoke well of him. Timothy, I'm sorry, Paul wanted to take him along on the journey, so he circumcised him because the Jews who lived in that area, for they all knew that his father was a Greek. 
there's a little bit of humor in this. I mean, Paul, would you like to take a young man and, and invite him to come with you on the journey? And the young man says, Mom, can I go? And the first thing that Paul does is have him circumcised. I mean, that's a pretty rough uh, introduction. But uh, anyway, so this happened before Paul enlisted him. And he did not start by preaching, but he started by serving Paul doing daily travel and church matters. Hey, can you get this? Can you do this? Can you do this for me? Can you do this? Can you help? So this is the pattern that we see in the New Testament. Timothy had replaced John Mark, who had had contention with, uh, with Paul, and, and he turned back, the Bible tells us. But note now how that Paul assesses Timothy's character in life. Let's go to Philippians chapter 2 for a moment. In verse 19, I hope in the Lord Jesus to send Timothy to you soon so that I, may, uh, that I also may be cheered when I receive news about you. I have no one else like him who will show genuine concern for your welfare. So he's a, he's a man with no guile. For everyone looks out for their own interests and not those of Jesus Christ. Sounds like a lot of people today, right? But you know that Timothy has proved himself because as a son with his father, he has served with me in the work of the gospel. I hope, therefore, to send him as soon as I see how things go with me. And I am confident in the Lord that I may myself come soon. God uses men and women to strengthen the church of Jesus. People like us, all of us in here, we're all part of the fabric and the mosaic of God's work. And I encourage you to find your place of ministry and service and uh, to do something big for God. Some of you are, maybe have physical challenges and that's understandable, but Timothy sets an example for us, especially new people in the Lord or maybe even young people. In Acts chapter 14, verse 21, they preached the gospel in that city and won a large number of disciples. And then they returned to Lystra, Iconium, and Antioch, strengthening the disciples and encouraging them to remain true to the faith. We must go through many hardships to enter the kingdom of God, they said. Paul and Barnabas appointed elders for them in each church and with prayer and fasting committed them to the Lord in whom they had put their trust. And he goes on down in the 15th chapter of Acts to amplify this a little further. Judas and Silas, who themselves were prophets, said much to encourage and strengthen the believers. Isn't that interesting? These were not pastors, but they were men that were anointed of God. They were speaking into the lives of other people in the church. And we see that this is so important. Sometimes we have it in our mind. There's a, we, we bring a preacher in, and the preacher's job is to lift everyone. And the, Bible's, the Bible pattern is way different than that. I'm trying to prove that to you tonight. In Acts 15, 41, he went to Syria and Cilicia, strengthening the churches. So we see the pattern. Go and strengthen. Lift people. Speak a word of hope to people. I think that's why, we are, that's why when the services end, I, I hope that the time will come when people just want to say a good word to one another and, and build friendship and build new relations and lift people. You know, um, they said, uh, I, I saw the other day another statement that I believe is true, and that the, it said that national, the national epidemic in America is loneliness. And loneliness is a terrible thing. And as a family, we have the privilege to gather together 
and to lift one another and say a word, a kind word, and pray with people and encourage them. I had the privilege to pray with a young couple this morning at a time of transition in their lives here at the altar after the third service, and they appreciated taking time. And I hope that we'll just take time one for another. Paul stayed in Athens alone, as I read to you, and he sends Timothy to Thessalonica to strengthen and encourage the believers, especially those who are being established in their faith. If every church adopted new believers or people that are new in the Lord and viewed them as a treasure and said, we want to invest in you, we want to help you. Many of you know that we have begun a new convert ministry or a new believer ministry that's held every Sunday morning, three Sundays a month. And um, you can join in at any time and be foundationally grounded in that class. And uh, Brother Arnie uh, uh, Jacob, uh, um, Jensen uh, is leading that, and he's over here. Wave so everyone knows who you are. Praise God. Thank you for your ministry to the Lord, my brother. And uh, we, we want people to be involved in ministry through seasoned leaders that can help you. And many times people go, I don't have a clue how to pray. I don't know. I don't have a clue how to interpret the Word of God. Get in a class like that and let God help you. So he sent them a man. But a second thing that Paul did for these people was he wrote them a letter. He wrote them a letter. We go to verse 3 of 1 Thessalonians 3. So that no one would be unsettled by these trials, for you know quite well that we are destined for them. In fact, when we were with you, we kept telling you that we would be persecuted. And it turned out that way, as you well know. Now, nobody wants trouble, but could I just remind you, living in America, times are changing. And I hope you're not afraid of tomorrow. I'm certainly not. I'm not afraid of what's going to happen to our country. But I can tell you, uh, I won't go into detail tonight, but I can tell you there's a concerted effort to wipe people off the, off the map who love Jesus and are people of faith. This country was founded on Judeo-Christian values and the Word of God. And there is an effort to try and steer us a different trail. And as long as I have oxygen, I hope you feel the same way, we're going to make our voice heard. We're going to do something. We're not just going to cower and say, hey, we got trouble. So Paul, Paul writes to these people and said, I told you we're going to have trouble. There's going to be persecution. And yes, it's there. So the believer is being built up by what Paul does for them. He sends them a letter. He sends them the word. Let me just depart from the first chapter, the, the first general letter, and go to the second one for just a moment. 2 Thessalonians 2, verse 15. So then, brothers and sisters, stand firm and hold fast to the teachings we passed on to you, whether by word of mouth or by letter. May our Lord Jesus Christ himself... And God, our Father, who loved us and by his grace gave us eternal encouragement and good hope, encourage your hearts and strengthen you in every good deed and word. They were living in a city that was known for its corruption. And the Lord is encouraging them through a man and now through a letter to stand firm. Romans chapter 16, verse, verse 25, another letter Paul writes to a different church 
Now to him who is able to establish you in accordance with my gospel, the message I proclaim about Jesus Christ, in keeping with the revelation of the mystery hidden for long ages past, but now revealed and made known through the prophetic writings by the command of the eternal God, so that all the Gentiles might come to the obedience that comes through faith. To the only wise God be glory forever through Jesus Christ. We find the letter that Peter writes, 2 Peter 1.12. So, so I will always remind you of these things even though we know them, even though you know them and are firmly established in the truth you now have. How did that happen? Pounding the desk, teaching, and now writing letters. Paul reminds them, now Peter reminds them that the word has already been shared. He warns them afflictions are ahead and they didn't comprehend it. So I want to remind you, brothers and sisters, there is no substitution for the Word of God. There's no substitute for it. God can do more with one verse, with one verse. The people in China tonight, still it's forbidden for them to have a Bible. They're taking one page and sharing it, memorizing the page, passing it to someone else quietly under the radar. You and I have... What do you got, 10 Bibles in your house, 15? How many Bibles you got? Plenty probably. And we take it so casual. What about those who have no chance? Tonight, there's no substitute for the Word of God. The Christian who is ignorant of the Word becomes prey for the devil. Hide the Word in your heart that you might not sin against God. Amen. Amen. Ephesians chapter 4, verse 11. I'm trying to set the table so we understand the power of the word going forth, a letter, a, a scripture coming forth. In the 11th verse, so Christ himself gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, pastors, and teachers. For what reason? To equip his people for works of service so that the body of Christ may be built up until we all reach unity in the faith and in the knowledge of the Son of God and become mature, attaining to the whole measure of the fullness of Christ. Then we will be no longer infants tossed to and forth by the waves and blown here and there by every wind of teaching and by the cunning and craftiness of people and their deceitful scheming. Instead, speaking the truth in love, we will grow to become in every respect the mature body of him who is the head that is Christ. For from him the whole body, joined and held together by every supporting ligament, grows and builds itself up in love as each part does its work. How did Paul minister the word? Have you wondered what it was like for Paul to minister the word? Let's get a snapshot of how that happened in Acts chapter 17. It's very important that we understand this. Acts chapter 17, 1 through 4, because now he's building upon what he's already sent them. When Paul and his companions had passed through Amphibolus and Apollyon, if you, you want to um, parse that a little better, just send me a note and tell me, I wish you would have pronunciated it this way. And uh, anyway, we'll get through this, okay. They came to Thessalonica, and there was a Jewish synagogue. As was his custom, Paul went into the synagogue, and on three days, notice, he reasoned with them from the Scriptures, 
explaining and proving that the Messiah had to suffer and rise from the dead. This Jesus I'm proclaiming to you is the Messiah, he said. And some of the Jews were persuaded and joined Paul and Silas, as did a large number of God-fearing Greeks and quite a few prominent women. Would you note with me what he did? First of all, he reasoned with them. He reasoned with them. What does this mean? This, this assumes there's some discussion, there's some debate, there's some exchange going back and forth. It's people saying, what does that mean? I don't get that. Could you explain it? Then he, in addition, he opened the word, as we see here in Acts 17. He opened the word. In other words, it implies that he defined what the Bible says. In, he, he expanded its meaning, like we try to do here, week by week. Then the next thing he did is he alleged certain truth. He declared the truth that was, that was real, that was relevant to them. And in other words, he produced evidence. He declared truth and stood upon it and pounded the dusk on it. And then he preached the word, the Bible says here in Acts 17. He proclaimed or literally declared the truth of the gospel. Now notice with me. The effective Christian teacher must employ all of these methods because it's a biblical pathway for success. Give people a chance to ask questions, expand the meaning, take the certain truth that will stand the test of time and pound it into the desk, and then preach or declare the Word of God four different ways. Now notice, what else did Paul do? God sent him a man, he sent him a letter, Third thing he did, he prayed for them. He prayed for them. First Thessalonians 3, verse 5. For this reason, Paul says, when I could stand it no longer, I sent to find out about your faith. I see something about the great love this man had for that brand new church. I couldn't stand it anymore being away from you. And so I sent to find out how you were doing. I was afraid that in some way the tempter had tempted you and that our labors might have been in vain. Verse 6, but Timothy has just now come to us from you and has brought us good news about your faith and love. He has told us that you always have pleasant memories of us and that you long to see us just as we also long to see you. Therefore, brothers and sisters, in all our distress and persecution, we were encouraged about you because of what? Your faith. For now, we really live since you are standing firm in the Lord. I'm relieved that I find you're standing firm in the Lord. How can we thank God enough for you in return for all the joy we have in the presence of our God because of you? Night and day we pray most earnestly that we may see you again and supply what is lacking in your faith. Now let's take an observation of this passage really quick tonight. The church is established, any church, is established by two key elements. One of them is the Word of God. Our foundation is the Word of God. But the second thing that the church is sustained by is prayer the Word of God, and by prayer. Now, if it's all teaching, preaching, and no prayer, the people will have light or illumination, but they won't have any power. The power will be, will be missing. And if it's only prayer, 
that can readily give way to emotion, which will rule the ministry. And the leader who talks to God about his people and then talks to his people about God will have a balanced and established ministry. May God help us. Now, note the ministry of Jesus. In Luke chapter 22, he speaks to Simon Peter in loving terms. Simon, Simon, Satan has asked to sift you like wheat. He wants to bust you open, man. But I've prayed for you, Simon, that your faith may not fail. And when you have turned back, strengthen your brothers. You don't know who's sitting next to you sometimes and what kind of battle they're going through, but God does. And he may inspire you to say, I sense you're going through something. Might I pray for you tonight? Could I just agree with you? Is there anything I could pray with you about? Jesus knew all things, and he knew that Simon was getting ready. Why would the devil want Simon, Peter, so bad? Because he knew that he would be one of the lead spokespeople for the kingdom of God going forward. And the enemy, knowing that, knew that if he stopped him, he could prevent the gospel from going forth. I wonder how many people are sensitive about those things tonight in the body of Christ. We just think everyone's a giant, maybe. I don't know who that is over here. I don't know who this one is. I don't know what they're going through. May I just remind you, prayer is what sustains the ministry of the church. The ministry of Peter and the apostles, Acts chapter 6 and verse 4. We're going to give our attention to prayer and the ministry of the word. You remember the context of that was they were appointing other leaders they pointed what they called deacons, so the preachers could give their attention to prayer and the ministry of the word. Those of you that are in ministry or called to ministry, here's the golden nugget tonight. Prayer and the ministry of the word is the combination that God will always anoint. Now notice, ministry of Paul, Acts 20, verse 32. Now I commit you to God and to the word of his grace, which can build you up and give you an inheritance among all those who are sanctified. I commit you, he's praying, I'm praying for you, and to the word of his, to his word. What is, what's the result of that? This will build you up and give you an inheritance. So when Paul is writing a letter to this church, his primary concern was not just out of the safety or for their happiness, he wanted them to be strong in the Lord and the power of his might. Never to question the word of God, but to believe it. The devil's plan is to steal the word out of us. Remember the parable Jesus said? He said, if you can understand this parable, you'll remember everything else I tell you. What did he say? As soon as the sower sows the word, the birds come. They want to take the seed. The enemy comes to try and take away this. That's why the foundation that you prepare for the word to come forth into our hearts is so critical. Jesus said it like this in John 10, 10. The thief comes only to steal, to kill, and to destroy. But I have come that you might have life and have it more abundantly. So Paul desires the people in Thessalonica to be perfected or to become mature in their faith. 
That's what we're contending for here. That same, that same persuasion. In 1 Thessalonians 3.10, night and day, he said, we pray more earnestly that we may see you again and supply what is lacking in your faith. He desired them to abound in love. He wanted them to be abounding in love. He desired to see them established in hope. He desired to see them growing in faith. Let me say that again. He desired to see them abounding in love, love for one another, love for God. He desired to see them established in hope. Hopeless Christians, something's wrong with that. That that phrase just doesn't make sense. Hope-filled Christians is what God is looking for. He desired to see them growing in faith. And there's no substitute for a consistent prayer life. May I repeat that? There is no substitute for a consistent prayer life. And finally tonight, number four, he reminded them of Christ's soon return. What an amazing statement he makes in verse 11. Now may our God and Father himself and our Lord Jesus clear the way for us to come to you. May the Lord make your love increase and overflow for each other and for everyone else, just as our love does for you. May he strengthen your hearts so that you will be blameless and holy in the presence of our God and Father. What? When our Lord Jesus comes with all his holy ones. The whole focus was, I want you well, healthy, strong, abounding, because Jesus is coming, and when he does, I don't want you to miss out on his return. Listen carefully to me, please. The devil does not want you to go to heaven. He will do everything possible to discourage you, get you sidetracked with all kinds of stuff. We must understand that this passage has relevance for our lives tonight. We are reminded that the theme of these two letters, 1 Thessalonians, 2 Thessalonians, is the return of Christ. No truth establishes the believer more than this. Jesus is coming again. I remember my grandfather sitting around the table speaking in broken Swedish. Jesus is coming soon. He'll be here very soon. Everyone ready? Be ready. And everyone just looked at him, and he was passionate. He wanted all of his family to go to heaven. He's going to be with Jesus. I remember my parents sitting around the table, pounding the desk, saying the same thing. And now I'm doing the same thing for my family. Let's be ready. Let's not let anything discourage you from faithful walking with God. They were to keep themselves unspotted. I just want to conclude with this passage of Scripture. It's an amazing passage. Luke chapter 12, verse 42. The Lord answered, Who is that? Who then is that faithful and wise manager? That's really what we all are. You're managing what God has done for you. His assets in your hands, his blessing upon what you do, you are his manager. The money that I have, that Bonnie and I have, the wealth that we have, whatever, we might, whatever it might be, it's not ours. We're managing it for the one who gave it to us. 
If you view your assets as your own, and everyone keep your mitts off my stuff, let me just remind you, you're managing it for the Lord. Who then is that wise and faithful manager whom the Lord puts in charge of his servants to give them their food allowance at the proper time? It would be good for that servant whom the master finds doing so when he returns. Truly, I tell you, he will put him in charge of all of his possessions. But suppose that servant says to himself, my master is taking a long time in coming. And he then begins to beat the other servants, both men and women. He's acting in a gruff manner to eat and drink and get drunk. And the master of that servant will come on a day when he does not expect him and at an hour that he is not aware of. He will cut him to pieces and assign him a place with the unbelievers. The servant who knows the master's will and does not get ready or does not do what the master wants will be beaten with many blows. But the one who does not know and does things deserving punishment will be beaten with few blows. For everyone who has been given much, much will be required or demanded. And from the one who's been entrusted with much, much more will be asked. Now this man did not say anything openly. Please note the scripture. He said it in his heart. He didn't say it out. He didn't announce it to those around him. He said to himself, my Lord delays his coming. What's the problem with him? He did not love and look for Jesus' return. This man fell from faith. Tonight, there's a call in the spirit realm for us to look for the return of Jesus, to expect his return, to be ready for his return, to work and advance the kingdom of God in every way that we can. A daily expectancy of Jesus' return will keep the believer's heart supple and ready to welcome Jesus when he comes. Can you imagine what it would be like to live in such a manner that says, Grandpa used to believe that. I, don't, you know, I just don't believe that anymore. That'd be a terrible thing. God's calling us to continue in him, to love him, to keep clean before him. I plead with you tonight. Live in expectancy of the Lord's return. I don't know how long we have you may have lots of insight. But if he doesn't bring judgment on our country, he's going to have to apologize to Sodom and Gomorrah pretty quickly. We have real trouble. And it's time for us to take heed from the word and with prayer. Let's stand together in the presence of the Lord tonight. Lord Jesus, I love you tonight. I worship you. I want to thank you for loving us like you do. I want to thank you, Lord, that no weapon fashioned against us can prosper. This is our heritage as servants of the living God. I thank you for hearts that love you and long for you. I long to be in your presence, Jesus. 
I want to see you and thank you for what you have done for me. I want to thank you, Jesus, for the blood you shed because when you were on that cross, every one of us was on your mind. As you walked through the streets and the blood from your body was pouring out on the sidewalks, you had us on your mind. May we live in such a manner that proves ourselves worthy of the kind of love you have shown us. May we walk in a manner that honors you and blesses you. So, Lord, forgive us. Forgive us, Lord, for having our minds scattered in so many places when there's only one thing that's really important, and that is living for you and pleasing you. We need your touch tonight. We need your touch, Lord Jesus. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Jesus. I know it's, um, we're not been cleared with all this COVID matters, but I still believe that people are hungry for God's presence. And if you'd like to just come and kneel at this altar tonight and spend a few moments talking to Jesus, these altars are open. And if you're here and you'd like some special prayer, you're going through something, our leaders will be watching. Let's, for those that need special prayer, we'll gather right here in the center. If you want someone to pray with you about a matter, we're happy to do that. We're happy to trust God with you. We're just going to set the table for a few more. We're not going to lengthen the service beyond what we should, but I just feel that there's probably some people that would like to say, Lord, I just need to get some things straight with you tonight before I leave. If that's you, I invite you to come now as we worship God together.